0: Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis
1: Chappell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me on today's show.
2: Thank you for having me, Eric.
1: Yeah. Really excited to chat with you, obviously about your new book, which is out right now, but I want to talk a little bit as we do often at the show about your early life. So I know you had a lot of family that was associated with great amounts of wealth, but some of that did not pass to your family. So there was a pretty turbulent and down mood around your immediate family. What was the environment like Growing up, when you look back and you think of the emotions that were present in those relationships, what was it?
2: I try to think about how to explain it to someone in today's terms. And, you know, I think about what if you were Bill Gates' granddaughter Hmm. and you inherited nothing, how would that make you feel? Right. And, but you have this legacy, this massive legacy weighing on your shoulders That's something that I grew up with. Was my great great grandfather founded International Paper Company? I had another grandfather that had a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. They founded different banks. I mean, it was pretty heady stuff. They lived the life like the Great Gatsby. But by the time it got to my generation, that wealth, the bulk of it, had not passed. And when it got to me, there was nothing left. Hmm. So I was left with this world of a lot of resentment that we didn't have what our predecessors had had and a lot of expectation and clinging to social status and expecting us to go to the right schools and be members of the right clubs. And unfortunately that didn't happen for me. turns out that was a gift in the end, mm-hmm. but um, I like to think that I turned out the best of my siblings, despite the fact we had completely different upbringings. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, for people listening, like the International Paper Company, you know, you've said is traded on the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, it's a it's a huge deal. I mean, there was a lot of wealth. You, your, uh, I think you said your great grandmother lived in like a 20 room mansion, uh, which is unbelievable to think about. But as you said, sometimes, you know, the social status or the wealth isn't worth it when you're surrounded by people who are very toxic within your oh, life. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about that. I know you talk about your father being a very narcissistic. There was a lot of competition, your family uh, trying to, to please him. And it sounds like there was a lot of religious elements tied into that as well. Yes. So from all angles, very toxic, how did that play out? And how did that affect your view when you looked out at life and said, okay, this is the path I want to go on. How much did that inform it?
2: Well, for years, I didn't think I had a choice about my path. Mm -hmm. My father very much believed that he was in charge of the household and that he was the covering was kind of the term that he used over the family. And it was his job to dictate our paths and so I just did as I was told. I did everything I could to avoid being noticed even, let alone seen or heard or acknowledged. Yeah. So I just tipped around and walked on eggshells. And just again, I mean, I, I, I joked my dad leaned over the crib and said, not only are you going to college, but you're getting a graduate degree too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because in our family, that was just what you did. Yeah. And so I, I did that and I ended up going to law school. He created this dynamic in our household that was full of shame and self-criticism and self-loathing and competition, yeah. not bet- just between siblings, but between our mother for his affection. It was a very sick, twisted dynamic. Yeah. And it, it took years of therapy. And and as I guess to sort of highlight a little bit with the book, I mean, I went through a lot. I was raped when I got to college. I've been through two divorces. I was saddled with debt there. That's a whole other story, but through all of the things that I went through, I had to find a way to break free from that message that I received from him on who I was and what I was going to do and, and reach back inside and remember who that little girl was before he tried to shape me into something else.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, When you look at your career, I mean, you're obviously a high achiever and you've done a lot of really impressive things, you know, and do you think a lot of those early steps, like, you know, pursuing law, um, doing those things, when you look back now, do you see that being a result of trying to appease a father figure, trying to find your own status? You know, when so much of it had been stripped away, was that the main driving force?
2: it's a little bit of both i mean there's two parts to that and that is one absolutely in our family achievement was expected but when you have that kind of coming from that kind of family we yeah. were expected to achieve similar status and accomplishments the other aspect of that is my father told me affirmatively that i was not pretty and as a little girl being told that it just absolutely it, it just crushes you and so my self esteem is completely about being smart, and I that's how when I, I kind of learned that oh look I can get praised for getting straight A's, and so that's definitely a big part of that achiever in me. And also honestly, jumping up and down trying to get daddies, you know, to love me. Mm. Is that constantly trying to do something that doer? What can I do to please him or anyone else?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And and on some level there's also escape you know you mentioned like there's that getting out doing your own thing charting charting your own your own path you obviously have written a book so writing has been a part of of your life um you mentioned obviously being raped in college which is a very formative experience to have happen you know and that was the thing that prompted you to first start writing because it was easier to communicate that how did that affect you and what led you to say okay, I want to try to find the words to describe this. I want to write about this as opposed to, you know, suppressing it, moving on and not encountering it or trying to face it and say, this is what happened and, and describing it to yourself and to, to others.
2: Well, initially when I decided to write about it, just kind of give the, the listeners a little background. When I was raped, um, my sorority sister that I went to and my mother both told me that I should not speak of it. Mm-hmm. And so I, took my mother's advice or admonition, and I didn't speak about it for six years. And I like to refer to trauma as the monster under the bed. Hmm. We all like to say he's not there. He's not there. And the reality is the trauma was actually owning me. I thought if I pretended it didn't happen, I didn't talk about it, that the rape wouldn't, it would bounce off me, you know? Yeah. And I actually became the mess for the message that I was only worthy of sex. I became promiscuous, which I mean, I was the, the little virgin before that. So it's, <laughs> it was a whole other swing there. And when I got involved with this guy where there was actually emotions involved, I felt like I owed it to him to explain why my behavior was so odd. And I didn't have the words to say it. So I sat down at my computer and I wrote the story of my rape and shared it with him that way. And I found that was so much easier for me because... I could tell my story without that immediate feedback of someone looking at me and giving me like a face or feeling like they had to interject and say, Oh, it's okay. Or it wasn't that bad. Or I just told my story Mm -hmm. and then what happened. And he was the first person that ever gave me any sympathy or, you know, comfort over what happened. And that opened the door for me to start kind of exploring therapy and, and making those changes in my life. But over the years, I would rewrite that story from different directions because I wanted to. Then I started to realize, well, maybe I want to share this with some people, but I never could really figure out like who would care. Hmm. Because as I like to say, and this is partly that just being beaten into me, like you're nothing. <laughs> I'm just an ordinary person. I mean, I am not a celebrity. I'm not an you know an athlete. You think about which whose memoirs you read. You know, I'm not Andre Agassi. I'm not um, you know some great rocker. I'm not a Holocaust survivor. I'm just Carrie. And, but what occurred to me when, when COVID hit, particularly, it really hit me was that my experiences were relatable because, because I was ordinary. Mm-hmm. The, sadly, after the Me Too movement, I realized my rape story would be, would touch so many people because it had happened to so many of us. Yeah. So it was the things that I had experienced the divorce, debt, uh, there's a whole host of things, body dysmorphia <laughs> that I go through in the book. That these things were all relatable because of my ordinariness. These were universal experiences. And that's when I was like, okay, maybe my story does matter. And I was able to sit down and really write it to share with people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a tangible sense to everything you talk about, you know, as opposed to if you had grown up in the 20, you know, room mansion, you know, living in. Yeah. I, I think there would be this separation of, okay. Uh, there's no relatability there, but although you've been a high achiever, like I think in your conversations and your writing, there's a sense that, you know, I understand where this is coming from. I can see where this is at. And one thing that seems clear, you know, as you started writing, as you started pursuing therapy, as you started, you know, I mean, finding gifts in the shit of life, you know, um, as you talk about, it seems like you started moving from being reactionary to trauma, which was, you know, I'm going to, my, my dad does this. I'm going to do this in order to either achieve love or to escape, depending on the the situation. Or in this case, you know, I'm gonna I'm going to, you know, just try to figure out a different way to take back ownership. But it was still coming from a place of reacting versus you starting to really take control and choosing the path that you wanted, choosing the direction you want to go healing the way you wanted to heal. Where did you find the strength to take that approach? Because it is so easy to be purely reactionary. Something bad happens, we just go boom, first instinct, let's follow it. Uh, how did you start becoming very intentional with how you approached it?
2: Well, it's it. mean, it really was an evolution. And I think it was also everything that was happening in society at the same time that kind of helped to empower me, whether it was the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and Brene Brown coming out with all of her yeah. books talking about shame. I mean, a lot of the things that happened, you know, society, in society helped me on my path to becoming more intentional with how I was handling those things. But it really came down to, I mean, there wasn't like one specific thing, but I think yeah. over time, again, one thing I really emphasize in my book is that, everything about our life is about choices. Mm -hmm. And I realized, like, I don't want these bad experiences to determine, to to dictate a negative outcome for me. You see so many times with these different experiences, how they do dictate a negative outcome for people. And so I kept making the choice that maybe these things could be viewed differently or handled differently. Mm -hmm. And as I talk about in the book, Mindset, how you view things, the story that you tell yourself determines the outcome. Hmm. And mindset is, in fact, a muscle. And the more we use it, the more we're ready to use it. We recognize, wait, it's time to use the muscle, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that muscle memory, right? right? So after going through so many bad things and developing that emotional resilience, I also, along that path, developed this mindset muscle Where I started to see the opportunity in the adversity to the point I say, I kind of joke now that it's almost like a twisted sickness. In that, when Mm -hmm. I see an obstacle, I get excited because it's like Mm. a puzzle to figure out. Yeah. So I see anytime there's something that could be perceived as an obstacle or a hardship, I immediately go to where's the opportunity here? I know it's here because the two are coupled together. So whenever there's something that's bad that happens, there is. You know, some positive, some gift in there, some opportunity. And to immediately have your mind start looking for that is the beginning of healing and hope and moving away from that negative experience.
1: I love when you say mindset's a muscle. And you know, when you think of a muscle, obviously you have to exercise a muscle to to grow. For you, is writing that muscle is it being able to become aware or analyze the things that have become roadblocks for you? Is it just purely by, you know? The more miles you put on, you know, and the more time and experiences you have, it grows naturally. How are you intentionally developing that muscle?
2: It's all those things. I did start. I'm not great. It's funny because I do love to write, but I'm Mm. not great about journaling. Hmm. But I did start to more sort of take notes when I was reading books self-help books or listening to podcasts i found really helpful i would take notes and i took those notes and i kind of compiled them into sort of a journal and then i went back and i during particularly during covid i started rereading them every day these passages that i'd written about you know gratitude or hope or opportunity or mindset mm-hmm. all of those different things And then once I kind of had that put together, I actually recorded it and I put it on my phone. And so if I don't have time to read, like I'm drinking my coffee and I'm, you know, making something or getting, making breakfast, I listen to that. And I'm actually, it's like positive affirmations, but more than that, it's, I challenge myself where I may say something that may seem, I know there's a lot of science about affirmations, but I may say something that may be not completely true, but in a way that Gets my mind going. Like I'll say, for instance, if you've read the book, you know, I suck at tennis. I am not an athlete by any means, but I am into fitness and I love to work out. And so I have been saying to myself, okay, I am an athlete, which you would go, no, you're not. But what that does for me is then I go, what does an athlete do? Yeah. An athlete exercises every day, an athlete watches what they eat, an athlete, you know, engages in certain kinds of self care for their body. And I start that dialogue and that's where that goes for me. So that's how I use those affirmations for where I want to achieve something and say, well, if I'm going to be that... And one of the ones I had a few years ago was I'm a best-selling author. Mm. And so I asked myself, if you're going to tell yourself you're a best-selling author, how are you going to get there? What steps do you need to take? And then you need to take those steps. And so it is those kind of like little... Tricks I use to help myself along the way, but there's opportunity in adversity is something I learned probably 12 years ago, that saying, and it just stayed with me. So anytime something happens, I say it to myself, you know, where's the opportunity in this? And it could mm-hmm. be something as simple as like, you're driving down the freeway and you get a flat tire and most people would have a total meltdown. Like there, my day is shot, yeah. you know, everything's screwed. What am I going to do? And it's in those moments that instead I choose acceptance. This just happened. What can I do? And then accept. When you accept it, you look for the gift. What are you, What are you giving me? You just gave me an hour of time sitting here on the side of the road that I can call that friend that I've been meaning to call and I haven't had time. Mm. You just gave me an hour of time to listen to that podcast or that audio book that I've been dying to listen to. And there's some gift in that that I've been needing. I just got that gift. It's that immediate shift in mindset Mm -hmm. to go from, wow, I just got screwed. What a horrible day to there's an opportunity here. Let's find it. Mm. And it's just monumental the way it changes your life.
0: Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, absolutely.
1: There's two things there. One, I mean, with affirmations, there's a lot of people you'll see who... Do the affirmation without the work, you know, and they'll say, I'm going to be, and I remember when I first started hearing this, a lot of people that were high on the, you know, on all the different conferences or the, you know, they would go and listen to some speaker and and they would say, you know, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to do this. And it ended up on a vision board somewhere. And they would just say it all the time, but I love that you specify you. Cause I, for me, I was always like, that's so stupid. They're never going to do that. You know, it's right. a weird spiritual thing. But then when you get to a point of realizing like, okay, just like you said, how do I chart the course to that? If I am, you know, for me, it was getting up early. Like I was always night out. And then once I had a kid, I was like, I cannot do this. I can't work till 4 a.m. and then, you know, try to survive the next day. So it was just saying, I'm a morning person. So what do I do? I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to have a plan for the next morning. I have a routine, you know, it's, it's a lot easier doing those steps. And the other thing I love is that when dealing with trauma, this is also huge is you don't just brush by it and say, it's not a big deal. I think that acceptance part is so key. Um, And I've talked to so many trauma survivors at this point who, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest things so many people miss is they try to suppress and yes. ignore versus yeah. accept this is really shitty. And you yeah. accept that in the subtitle of your book, this yes. is really shitty, yeah. but now what do I do with it? I can't well, choose that this is shitty. Yeah.
2: And even where's the gift in it? Like, mm-hmm. and that's the heart, that's like that whole other next step mm-hmm. where I love the story of Gavin DeBecker, a guy that was, and he's the one who wrote the the gift of fear. And I talk about it in the first chapter of the book. I mean, he was beat up his mother, like shot at his stepfather there. I mean, there was you no know, gun violence in the home and he went through so much and he took those childhood traumas and he turned it into, he started advising presidents and CEOs and VIPs on how to predict violence. Talk about mastering that trauma yeah. and using it to propel him through life. No. Uh, same thing with Augustine Burroughs, he taking his trauma and using it to propel him through life. And so I think if people realized there was actually power in there, it's like, you remember under pressure and all that trauma, that's where diamonds are made. Mm-hmm. It's, if people actually understood that there was power in there, they'd be a little more willing to go back and re-examine and say, okay, you're right. That's painful, but there's something in there.
1: Right.
2: And and then as I like to say, for us women in particular, we're not allowed to get mad And it's so important to reach rage before you can reach forgiveness. Mm. And so we have to give ourselves and other women permission to be angry about what happened to us or, you know, what event occurred in our life that was ugly and painful and get angry, get mad, feel it. But then, you know, then really examine it and own your shit. <laughs> Take a look at it and, and, and then find the goodness, find the gift.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to ask I me, mean, this shows built your network and, and we talk so much about relationships, how important have relationships been in doing this? Cause there's so much self-discovery and self-learning that you have to go through, but what role have relationships, healthy relationships played in this, uh, in this progression?
2: healthy relationships, I mean, are the, are the thing that, that power you forward. And for me, at times, they may just be, it just been like moments where I was so deep in with the negative friends that I just had little glimmers of hope here and there yeah. of these friends that were more like shining stars that I looked up to. And, you know, they probably were more accessible than I even gave them credit for being, um, you know, you put them on a pedestal and you're like, wow, if I could be like that person, they have it all figured out. As you learn from my book, that's never true. <laughs> but yes, those relationships have been critical. You know, I, I am so blessed. I have to say, there are many times when I access my Rolodex to help other people because I realize how blessed I am to have access to people that many people don't.
1: We ask everybody who comes on the show, do you believe who you know or what you know is more important and why? And Obviously, you know, a lot, you're well-educated, you've had a lot of success, Uh, but also like you said, those relationships can be a huge propelling forward in business and in life and just mindset, which of the two do you think is most important and why?
2: I think it's actually most important to really know yourself.
1: Hmm.
2: I kind of wouldn't pick either. Hmm. I think a lot of people think they know it all. And one of the biggest takeaways and that I'm so honestly honored that people have come to me and said, you know, I had you on a pedestal and I thought you were this perfect person. And then I read your book and I realized, wow, I had it all wrong. I didn't know her at all. And being able to people, when they actually pull back the curtain and see the authentic you realize that I really didn't know much, but I think in the end, you know, you enter this world alone and you leave this world alone. And so while those relationships are absolutely critical to your success, and I would say probably more important than what you know, but the most important thing really is getting to that place inside where you know that you will survive no matter what, even if you're by yourself in the middle of nowhere, Mm -hmm. you know inside you have what it takes to survive. And that's about doing a lot of self-work and of course, you need people to do that. So maybe I would go that direction. But I think that if you think you it's what you know, you're probably in danger because we never know everything. There's I, I, One of my favorite things like to say about myself is I love growing and learning. That curiosity is probably one of the keys to success in life.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and it's like I mean the way that you talk about it. I mean, I'm asking you, how did you come to this point? Or, but there's that sense of evolution that's continue. You know what I mean? It's it's a constant learning, and it's it's the moment that you think, oh, I've got it, that life tends to throw something that reminds oh, you yeah. you don't. You know? Oh,
2: I am so conscious of that. I am so <laughs> conscious of that. I'm always like, look you know, I do not have a a big ego. I don't think I know it all. And because the minute you do your God will smack you down.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I'll catch myself. I'll be like, things are going really well. I'm like, Oh God, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) (laughs) We shouldn't have done this. Here's 2020 and try to figure this out, you know, and, but it, it is, it's, it's such an important journey. Um, And I, I really appreciate you kind of sharing that, that process because it's, it's interesting to me seeing someone write transparently about all of that, you know, and, and what that process looks like. There's a lot of people that write books on here's my perfect morning routine that gives me, you know, these miracle days and these, uh, here's this perfect process that gives me a win every time. And I think you can learn just as much from the things that didn't work out or the things that were, you know, unexpected, you know, tragedies or failures or mistakes, or, you know, just missteps in, in certain ways.
2: I believe that people learn through stories. When I wrote this book, I really thought about if I was reading this book, how would it make me feel? And I know that, I mean, there are other people out there who've written books recently that are pretty popular where it's, you know, they're in their face telling them what to do. (laughs) And I don't, I don't like someone doing that with me. And, what's, and I'm really glad I wrote it the way that I did, just sharing my stories and just being really authentic and open because every person that's come to me about the book has taken something different away from it. Mm. And if I had set out to say, well, this is what you need to learn, it would have been a completely different outcome. Oh. And I'm, I am just blown away by some of the things people have said to me. And I feel incredibly blessed that people are you know, getting great stuff from this book. So...
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I, I definitely encourage people listening to grab a copy of the book. There's a there's a link in the show notes, and we'll obviously remind people again here at the end. But I I want to move us into our random round. We like to ask everybody you know a set of questions just to get to know you a little bit better. But obviously, someone wants to get to know you really well. Uh, they should grab a copy of the book. Uh, check out some of your other podcast appearances. There's there's a lot of great stories to cover. I'm I'm curious what what profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt.
2: Oh, that, Ooh, this is a good one. I really get to, um, since I'm all about authenticity and just owning it, you know, in my secret fantasy world, I would be the next Oprah (laughs) Hmm.
1: to, to interview, to be able to have these conversations with.
2: Yeah. Well, so for me, I mean, what I do for a living, I interview executives for a living and one of my gifts that God has given me is the ability because I'm so authentic. I don't go in this true interview style. I tend to all reveal something about myself when I'm talking to them and that gets people to relax and and people tend to reveal more to me than they would to anybody. Hmm. And, and part of that too, is I, I trust them with their, I mean, they trust me with their stories and I would love to be in an environment where I could do that on a more public level, where yeah. I could really get people to share their stories. And I think I go after different things than most people do because I hate small talk. I really, really want to know who somebody is because that's where all the good stuff is. Right. Well, all these people are walking around with these amazing stories that we never get to know. Even our friends, we don't ask these questions. Yeah. So yes, that would be my sort of secret fantasy
1: um, <laughs> If you could sit on a park bench with anybody, past or present, and talk with them for an hour, who would it be and why? Ooh.
2: At the top of my head, one of my favorite people who I just love is Dominic Dunn mm. or RGB, the no. former Supreme Court justice. And then someone that's inspired me a lot, who you would never think, RuPaul. mm <laughs> I think oh. we would just have a great conversation. So.
1: Right. right. How do you like to learn best? Is it through books? Is it through podcasts, watching videos? What's your, what's your favorite way to consume new information?
2: All of it. I'm a sponge. I mean, yeah. so i obviously clearly, I love to read. There's times when my, as you read in the book too, my eyes are funky, I have weird eyes, I have issues. So sometimes my eyes get tired. And so I'll just, you know, put on a podcast or an audiobook or just need to veg out in front of the TV, but I'm, always seeking and learning and looking to explore. And, and it could just be, I meet a random person and I, I start a conversation. I find, I see there's a golden nugget in there. And I just have to learn more. So it's, you know, it's all of those ways.
1: Give me a glimpse of your morning routine.
2: So I do something a little different than most people. I know a lot of people get up and immediately exercise. For me, my peak cognitive function time is right when I wake up in the morning. So that's when I tend to write. Or anything that, because I'll wake up with ideas, and i will like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Sometimes in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and I'll write something yeah. down. But I'll wake up and i will like, okay, I'm I'm going to write for two hours, and then I'll let I'll start my real day, my work, work or whatever. And then I do the things that are, you know, I'll do like I said, I'll listen to my affirmations or whatever. Do, maybe do some reading. Right now, I'm reading. Um, what's his name? Um, Robert Greene. Sorry, I had to read the books right there. <laughs> um, the uh, he's got three hundred sixty-five days of of something. Um, so reading him, uh, but then I exercise at eleven a.m. and I do that for a couple of reasons. I'm Central Time. It's lunchtime Eastern time. It kind of works out. But also, then I've got my exercise in. If I can still go to lunch with people if I need to. And then I have them the rest of my day for emails and phone calls and all of that. But I've gotten those things accomplished that were most important to
1: me. Uh, what's your go-to pump-up song?
2: Oh, well, you'll, this won't surprise you. And if you know, there's also a playlist for my book. I don't know if you saw
1: yeah, that. I saw that. Yes, yeah, we'll yes. link to that as well.
2: Yes, probably. I will survive. Hmm.
1: <laughs> it's a good theme song for the book, for sure. Yeah, yeah. What is one thing that you're not very good at?
2: Well, tennis. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a whole chapter in the book about it. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, And then uh, what's the best place for people to connect with you online? So obviously they can pick up the book, but if they wanted to follow your journey as it's going, where's the best place for people to connect with you?
2: Well, um, I have this amazing assistant who... Is helping me with my social media. She's such a blessing. So she's doing, she's doing a great job with my Instagram. But I also, mm-hmm. I'm very active on LinkedIn. That's being an executive recruiter. That's my my home space. But so on LinkedIn, it's it's at Carrington ATX. Same thing on Facebook or Twitter. And then I have my author website, which is Carrington Smith.com. Uh, and then of course on LinkedIn, it's under Carrie Smith Tradeview. So
1: perfect, perfect. Well, I definitely encourage anybody listening to go and check out all of those links. If you enjoyed this conversation today, and I know I definitely did. So thank you for, for joining me on the show and for, for sharing about your book. I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, and the book title, Blooming Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. And it's available on Amazon and also it's in audio, audio book too.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, definitely go and check out a copy of the book. And uh, thank you again, Carrie, for joining me on today's show.
2: Thank you. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah,
1: it's been great.
0: That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.